I'm Carl Summers. And I'm Georgia Glenn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 32, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. ASAP Advisors work with farmers to improve water quality in priority areas for action across the country. But who supports the advisors in regards to information on water quality in local areas? Catchment scientist with the Local Authorities Water Programme, Dr. Philip Murphy, joins us to discuss his role supporting ASAP and how his work can help solving our water quality issues. Philip, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Kyle. It's nice to see yourself and Deirdre again. No, great to have you on. Philip, I suppose, can you tell me a bit about your background and the role of the Local Authorities Water Programme? Yeah, so the, the Law Pro for short, um, I joined the team back in 2018. Um, originally, it was um, a team of community water officers that spent a lot of their time engaging with local community groups. Um, but in 2018, they set up a, a scientific team and I joined them. Um, and there we were involved in the catchment assessment approach for water quality. Uh, we're a shared service that works between different agencies and we're under uh, governed by both TIP and Kilkenny County Council. There's a difference as well, isn't there? The normal local authority people that, that I suppose farmers will be used to will be the, the ones that come on and do inspections, but you're not like that, are you? Yeah, exactly. So this is, a, a, I suppose, a brand new section set up um, at that time, and it's purely based on environmental assessment and advisory. Um, the previous environmental sections, which obviously still exist, are, are separate to us. I suppose originally when the ASAP program came out first as well, um, we did a lot of training together um, to see, you know, and get an understanding of what your role is as a scientist and what our role is as an ASAP advisor. So I suppose that was a good grounding, an introduction to each other and how we worked as well. Mm. It was actually quite exciting back then as well, Deirdre, because that catchment science approach wasn't implemented so much on the ground. And so both the advisors and scientists were kind of getting a good hold on this whole picture approach that comes with catchment science. So that was because they're rerunning some of those courses at the moment. So we're trying to respark that interest that we had back then as well. Yeah, with all the newbies. <laughs> yeah, just on that, Philip, will you explain to us exactly that new catchment approach, what we were doing, say, 10, 15 years ago compared to this new catchment approach? Yeah, so the catchment science approach, although it's not a new scientific phenomenon, it's... Um, being implemented for the first time, really, or at least at this scale uh, through this program that I'm involved in. Um, it takes into account all the land use uh, pressures and land use um, that goes on in a, in a catchment of a water body. Um, so it's different to just monitoring water quality results and responding to immediate pressures and that. It's, it's kind of a bigger catch-all approach that takes into account um, differences between water bodies and difference between land uses. Uh, it's, the whole idea is really unt untangle that so you're getting the most significant pressure that could be affecting water quality. Could you tell us a little bit, um, Philip, about the whole process of how you do your job? Like, for, how were the water bodies in, in the PEA, say, for example, how were they selected? And what's the process from there? So the whole idea of it is, is to get as much targeting to um, the right issue in a, in a river um, starting from the from the top. So the EPA will be monitoring at a national level. Um, they have monitoring stations at subsections of rivers across the country. Um, at each of those monitoring points, they'll determine the status or the health of a river. But with our, with our, with our job and say the practice, practice of it is um, writing up, I suppose, desk study reports at a smaller scale than say what the EPA monitor at, and then carrying out field work at a smaller scale again 
um, so that we can narrow down the pressure points, say, in a, in a river. What that looks like for me uh, day to day would be probably a lot of desk work where we gather um, hydrochemistry data from the EPA predominantly, um, land use pressure and that as well. We build a kind of a picture using GIS systems then to kind of basically map out our catchments pressures. And we determine a significant issue based on everything we find. A uh, significant issue then, I suppose, there's about 12 or 13 pressures ranging from, let's say, a forestry pressure, a farmyard pressure, or agriculture related, could be diffuse or point, uh, wastewater treatment plants, um, and, and say even septic tank issues, that kind of thing. So we've done tangled all that in our process. So that's the desk study part. And then our next step then is to uh, get involved at the community level and the community engagement and you're involved in that on the farmer side. That's probably an important thing to, to, to mention as well. And Deirdre, you'll probably find this in farms as well. Sometimes when we go out in farms, uh, farmers feel under a bit of pressure that, 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 that the fingers pointed to them the whole time for water quality issues. But you, it's important for them to, to know that you work across the board, don't you? So you've mentioned a number of different pressures in Cashman. So farming is just one of them. But I know we have, we farm a lot of lands. So we're probably one of the main ones. Would that be fair to say? It is. As I kind of think of it, as if you're to look over, if you're on a boat going down the river, if you look over the river bank, it's most likely you'll see a field or an agricultural land use and not an urban area. You know, it's the most frequent pressure uh, adjacent to a water body. So. As was one thing I should mention that I, I'm, I'm only one of six uh, of a team here in the Southeast region. Um, six scientists and, and with the catchment science approach you kind of need a, a diverse team of, of different with different experiences so people from say myself I have, a, I have an agricultural background and we've others from different you know ecology um, backgrounds and that kind of thing as well and it's actually the, the conversations that we have amongst ourselves as a team is, is where we kind of get to untangle those pressures and separate say, agriculture from wastewater treatment for forestry and that kind of thing. So once your field work is done then, Philip, and from that we get what are called referrals um, from you. So what are the referrals um, based on or how do they come to the advisors? Uh, so the referrals are based on evidence of impact in uh, a water body. And like I said, we're trying to target it as much as we can. So we may narrow it down to a stretch of river. It could be one kilometre long or 10 kilometres long, but we'd, we would narrow it down from the full subsection of a river. Um, that evidence is based on, say, our kick sampling. It looks at the invertebrates in the river and our chemistry sample and other environmental indicators as well. Um, the referral document then is basically a synopsis of what we found and, and say we'll submit that to the agency that the pressure is relevant to. Uh, in, in the case of agriculture, then we submit it to the advisors like yourselves with a, a kind of a targeted area where we think measures would be implemented and we get the best response in terms of improving water quality. Just come back to that referral food. When you have your desktop study done and you have your information in front of you, how do you make it to that referral stage? Um, I presume after that you have to get out and walk the rivers and walk the land. So how, how do you come up with that referral or identify those issues? Yeah, so we're, we, we don't just send on referrals uh, without a lot of evidence or a lot of confidence in what we um, gather. So the river assessments and multiple river assessments throughout the season, so there's a summer season kick sampling, uh, when we look at invertebrates and sometimes we need to look at out of season um, kind of the health of the river outside outside the season as well. Um, all that information is gathered then so that we look at those environmental indicators, usually invertebrates like mayfly and stovefly, their presence or absence is an indicator of the health of a river. 
if we're finding an impacted site, we tend to move upstream um, until we find an unimpacted site. And then we know what stretch of river may be under pressure, say. So we gather that information. We look at basically how the habitat is, um, how the health of the habitat is for the, for the invertebrates. So that could be dissolved oxygen or temperature or conductivity, these type of parameters that would affect um, whether they want to live in that habitat or not. Uh, on top of that, we're taking chemistry samples. Chemistry samples are usually just a reflection of the, the day in question. Uh, now they are a very good guide, but it might, might take multiple rounds to be confident in what kind of nutrient levels that we might be looking at in a river. Farmers and students love looking at the kick sampling, don't they? Like when we have farmers meetings or community meetings and we demonstrate the kick sampling, there's huge investment, you know, um, in, from farmers and the community into what's going on in river life. Yeah, I actually enjoyed the discussion groups and the farmers meetings that I've been to. We explain a lot of the theory, but when we show the bugs in the tray, the 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 eyes open up farmers and they they really can't believe just how much life is in the bottom of the stream that might be adjacent to their farm um and i suppose they they appreciate what it takes to kind of ident correctly identify uh, the invertebrates so that we are getting an accurate reflection of uh, the health of a river and we're not we're not kind of um improvising with this <laughs> approach that it is uh, kind of evidence-based you always get the question at those meetings, Philip, as well, because I've been at several, which which is, and we we're at one lately. But can you explain why you have to have the kick sample or looking at the bugs and chemistry? Why why not? Why, why would chemistry not do on its own? It'd be easier for you, yeah. you just dip a bottle in the river and head off, and send it to the lab. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the invertebrates are are, the, are an indicator of the health of the river for like for up to six months or more, uh, depending on the species that you find and the stage that they're at in their life cycle. Um, so you can have, uh, if you're finding the good, a good abundance of uh, the good indicators, you can assume that the health of that river has been good for six months or longer, 12 months or longer, depending on what you find. Um, so that's, that's why it's so important, why it's so useful as an, as an environmental indicator for us. Uh, the chemistry sample then, it, it really is only reflective of the day in question. And even at that, we, we actually do a nice bit of work in the death studies and calculating flow rates because a high, a high chemistry value be it for nitrogen or phosphorus or ammonia, um, it's, not a, it's not entirely reflective of it depending on the flow. So a high value and a low flow area may not be significant pressure or an issue at the monitoring point, which is where we're really trying to get our improvements. Um, so it's really a, a temporal aspect there. That's the difference between the kick sample and the chemistry sample. Has water quality changed much over the last um, five years? And what do you think are the significant water quality issues out there, Philip? So at the moment, we're, we're finishing up one river basin management cycle. Um, that was a 2018 to 2021, 20, which was a, a three-year cycle. Um, the pressures are still similar. Agriculture is the greatest or the most frequent pressure. Um, wastewater treatment plants, I've mentioned those. Um, we've had a, we're still declining between that cycle and this new cycle. Um, and most of the pressure, most of the changes come from, um, or I suppose the differences come from nutrient losses. Um, but as well as that, we have hydromorphology, which is physical changes to the river. Uh, but on the up note, we have uh, less pressure coming from forestry and less pressure coming from wastewater treatment plants. Um, so we're, we're kind of in balance at the moment in my mind, but I think with the investments and it's hard to see annual improvements in any way water quality 
the investments we're putting into this program and even the ASAP program, I think we can see a, we can start to see an upward tick if we can keep it up. Actually, one thing just popped into my mind there when we were talking back in discussion groups, Philip. Um, if you're a farmer listening in now, or even somebody in the general public, and you, you don't have the, I suppose, the understanding of how to carry out a kick sample, or you don't have, you can't do a chemistry sample because we don't have access to, to getting it analyzed in labs because of the expense. How could I walk down to a river, my local river, down in the back of my farm, the back of my house, and have a look into it? What kind of indicators, visual ones, could I see that I, I'd wonder if it's good, bad, or indifferent? The easiest way is, to, is if you do have a smaller stream there just to pick up a few of the, the uh, rocks at the bottom of the river and you'll see the life there that's underneath those rocks. It's only one species you look at, the the um, cased caddis and sometimes uncased caddis. Are they um, the ones sleeping bag kind of things? It's exactly caddis. what it looks like. There's yeah. these small, now they're hard to spot if you haven't been some bit practiced in it, but when you look close, you see little stone sleeping bags and these are smaller than your fingernails there. Uh, but there's invertebrates inside inside of those. Um, so it's a good idea just to go and give yourself a, an indication of what's happening in the stream nearby just by turning over a stone. If you're if you're sharp enough, you'll also see some of the um, mayflies and stoveflies. If, if they're present, they'll scatter away uh, off the rock when you turn it over. So uh, it's just a quick way of getting a, a kind of an idea of what's going on in the river. Yeah. What about any growth or anything in the river? What would you look out for? Yeah, so we have a full suite of indicators that we look at when we out are out on a kick sample, say, that includes the plant life. Um, and there's always going to be some level of plant life, but where there's, say, unnatural levels of plant life, it's normally a reflection of nutrients. Um, these are the macrophytes. They will reflect what's going on in the health of the river as well. Um, so certain plants may reflect sediment issues. Others mostly reflect nutrient issues. And if it means there's too much growth for these plants, which actually ultimately takes away oxygen in the river and again affects those invertebrates. We'll also look at algaes um, and we'll get an indicator based on the type of algae that we find and the, they're, well, not entirely under abundance, but their presence or absence. Um, we'll have an indicator of the health of a river from that as well. So we have some high status water bodies in Ireland currently and some community um, programs um, are focusing attention on resources towards the protection and rest restoration of these high status water bodies. Can you tell us a little bit about the Blue Dot program and, and perhaps the Water of Life project also ongoing? Yeah, so the Blue Dot program is a, a targeted program to keep our most pristine sites in Ireland protected. Um, it does use the catchment science approach, it uses public engagement, and um, it's a, it, the idea, I suppose, with the Blue Dot programs to raise awareness around them as well. Um, so we've lost a lot of those since the 90s. We would have, I think, a large number of sites. I don't know, I can't remember, I can't remember the number exactly, but I think we're down to 22 high-status high sites at the moment. Um, although it's still good in a European context um, to have that many high-status high sites. We need to protect them and try and get back any sites that have dropped from high to good uh, on that scale. So, yeah, that's like, a, a, I suppose, a specialized program for protecting those pristine sites. The Waters for Life program then is another attempt through an EIP project to have a results-based um, approach to improving water quality as well. That's only just been recently launched. So I think that's actually quite exciting to see what will happen there. Um, we'll be actually involved a bit uh, through Law Pro with that program as well. That's fantastic. There's um, water can be quite confusing with figures for phosphorus and nitrogen and different figures for different things. But when you're assessing water quality, 
I know you look at different characteristics, um, but can you explain what really is good water quality and maybe the difference between drinking water versus ecological water quality? Because it, it does confuse the best of us, I think. Absolutely. Um, from our perspective, we're, we're looking at the health of the river as a, from a catchment scale. So it's those environmental indicators that are most important. So those invertebrates and the, the bugs in the river. Um, so we'll have our own thresholds for say nitrogen, phosphorus, and ammonia that we want to keep nutrient levels underneath uh, where we can and to reduce excess nutrient entering the water body. So we have our thresholds for those. When you're looking at it from a drinking water perspective, what it means is um, it requires more money and resources to clean the water for drinking water when it is say impacted or, or polluted. Um, that's the difference. And, and ultimately it'll all cost us more if we have to deal with more impacted sites or deal with, um, with reducing uh, pollution as well. So um, the differences, there are differences in standards say between drinking water and say just river water quality as well. Um, and we need to distinguish between those as well, depending on say what stakeholder we're dealing with or what agency we're collaborating with. Yeah, I think for the likes of us down here in the Southeast where we're, we're probably, I suppose nitrogen is problematic and it's been highlighted a lot. Do humans like us, we can take a lot more I suppose, concentration of nitrogen than the bogs in the river, can't they? Yeah, and, and in fairness, the say the nutrient levels don't directly impact the bogs in the river, but it's the plant growth um, that the nutrients feed. So we, we don't want to be feeding the wrong crop. Uh, we don't want to be feeding the crops in the river with true nutrient loss. We want to keep those nutrients in the soil if we can. Especially with the price fertilizer at the moment. <laughs> exactly. Good analogy, Philip. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, uh, just on that, Philip, I suppose you mentioned that start working with asset advisors and myself and Deirdre are asset advisors and the different skill sets we bring to the table. We know the service we provide to farmers in helping to reduce water quality in priority areas for action is confidential service. So like me, myself and Deirdre, we discuss with farmers, nothing leaves the farm gate, but you're there providing a lot of information to us how are you finding working with asset advisors? I suppose we're, we're coming from different areas where you're looking at purely science-based uh, environmental stuff and you have a, a group of 20, 30 asset advisors who, who predominantly would have advised on dairy, beef, tillage, sheep over the last 20 years. Um, so two different skill sets. How are you finding the combination? Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the collaboration, this direct collaboration with ASAP advisors. And in fairness, if you're looking at say the legacy of advisory it's been difficult to get one-to-one -one advice to farmers um and asap has that you know to have the opportunity to do that which i think is very invaluable to farmers and you can see that at the discussion groups and the talks that we've 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 hosted them um, together say um their interest level and their one-to-one -one advice it really pays off um when you're really sitting at the kitchen table with those guys you can you can see how working with them closely benefits them you know um it's it's from my perspective the environmental assessments are you know they're they're big picture but you're asking an individual to maybe change their behavior or to implement the practice that they're not used to so there's a there's an, a very important communication piece that needs to happen there and that that is carried out by asap advisors and it is carried out through those public um uh, public engagement events and, and the farmer engagement ones so um i do find that although it's different skill sets that it can be communicated clearly across and i've seen that in the response and in the questions that you get at those discussion groups you know there's some quite informed farmers uh with, with environmental questions that um that would test you but it's it's to our benefit to be testing those you know testing those parameters and that type of thing 
Yeah, look, I think it's a great way to finish up. Um, and, and I can assure you, and Deirdre, I'd say you, you can compound it that farmers are delighted to get more targeted information where we can actually come come to the farm and give them local information rather than national information. And we know that when we can hear more about our own area, it's, it's much more beneficial to us because we're interested. But well, Philip, look, really enjoyed the chat today and keep up the great work. Thanks a million for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Dr. Philip Murphy, catchment scientist with the Local Authority Waters Programme for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.